Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Move back to the book of Acts and... Um... Where, what's interesting about where we're at in the book of Acts, we're picking up right where we left off. The last time we were in the book of Acts, we were in Acts chapter 14. We ended in Acts chapter 14, so we're going into Acts chapter 15. And what's interesting is that um, we brought this service together, as I just mentioned, for relationship. Everybody say relationship. relationship. Discipleship. I spoke to some of our leaders, um, and discipleship has to have relationship. Relationships are vitally important to our lives as believers. They're vitally important to our lives as human beings, period. But vitally important to relationships. However, if you're going to have a healthy relationship, there's an element to healthy relationships that most of us do not like, but it's absolutely necessary and vital to having a healthy relationship. And the book of Acts chapter 15 is all about this key element of relationships that we all have to have, we all have to get into, we all have to endeavor to have. It's one word, conflict. Conflict. We're going to be talking about conflicts that have happened right here in front of us in the Bible, in the Word of God. And we're going to unpack that because there's really two very significant conflicts that happen in this chapter. The entire theme of this chapter is conflict. How many of you have ever had conflict with someone? How many of you had conflict with them in the car on the way to church this morning? Come on. Some honest people in the house of God. And because you raised your hand, there'll be some more conflict on the way home. Conflict is unavoidable. What I mean by that is there's external conflict and there's internal conflict. You can have a seemingly peaceful relationship but be filled with internal conflict. Conflict is unavoidable and there are people who are in this world, in this room, in our lives that at all costs you avoid conflict. You do everything you can to avoid it, thinking that you are actually doing the right thing, but you're not. And there are other people who you thrive on conflict. You cannot wait to have some conflict. You wake up in the morning thinking, I'm mad, who's gonna get it today? (laughs) Equally as unhealthy and dysfunctional. But the Bible has something to say about these conflicts. Now, again, I want to make mention of this. If you are uh, new to our church or you've missed some of those weeks that we, we have been teaching out of the book of Acts and you just want to catch up to what we're doing, this entire series is built upon um, itself. And so you can go back to our website, OurSaviorsChurch.com, or you can simply take a picture of this QR code that we're going to put up here on the screen, and it'll take you automatically to our, our message bank online where you can download the messages or just stream them and listen to them, but you can catch up to where we're at. So let's go back to our text. So Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 were ending their missionary journey. This was Paul's very first missionary journey where he's, he left his home church, what had become his home church, Antioch. 
Antioch of Syria, this Gentile-dominated church for the most part, and him and Barnabas went around the region preaching the gospel in synagogues. They started in synagogues to Jewish people and God-fearing Gentiles, but then they spread out to just preach in the streets to Gentile people. Now, again, Gentiles were anyone who was not a Jewish person. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. But so we ended their missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. Uh, and I'm going to, just so you guys know, I was told that because we have one service that I can preach until one o'clock. And so I'm going to just, I'm joking. Some Saints fans was like, well, Midtown it is. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul and Barnabas left this church where they were, they, there was a governing I'm not bored, if you will, but there was a governing group of elders or leaders who really led the church in Antioch, and, and Paul and Barnabas were significant parts of that leadership team. They left that team to go and preach to these Gentiles and to the, the, the Jews in the synagogue, like I just mentioned, and, and, and we saw in the previous chapters him preaching and all of the great things that God did, but now he comes back to his home church after his missionary journey to get some rest, to get some peace. And as soon as he gets there, conflict erupts. Conflict erupts because these Jewish Christians who had come from Judea, which Jerusalem is in Judea, they'd come from Jerusalem or, Ju in, or the Judean region and they all of a sudden come to Paul's church and start preaching their doctrine in someone else's church. And they start teaching the people, while, while Paul and Barnabas had, they'd come back, but these people are now there and they start telling them everything that's opposite to what Paul was saying. Paul was teaching that you are saved by the grace of God through faith. That's how you're saved. And so he's preaching these things and then here come these Jewish believers and they start telling these Gentiles, you have to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. And I've talked a whole lot about that in the past. You guys know where we stand on all that. And you know the difference, the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. But for the Jewish people, you have to remember, they were God's chosen people. They were the chosen race that God had chosen to reveal himself and to bring Jesus through that line. They were the people who had the covenant that God made with Abraham. They were the people who received the law from God. When God sent the law through Moses and rescued them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and all of those amazing things. So they felt as if they had a claim on the truth. The only problem is God was doing something different now. And God was broadening the salvation that he wanted to bring to the whole world, not just to the Jewish people. And they didn't see, they couldn't see that the reason why they were chosen was to be a light to the nations, not to be exclusive from the nations. And God was trying to reveal himself through Jesus to the nations of the world. Aren't you glad that God revealed himself to the nations of the world? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. 
we wouldn't be here. And so Paul is preaching the kingdom of God and these Jews want to convert these Gentiles to circumcision, to come under the law, to follow all of the rules and the guidelines that they had to follow as Jewish people, Jewish nationality, and from, from that nationality, that line of people, to follow all of those rules. And Paul and Barnabas had a big problem with that. Verse 2 says this, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. Listen, listen to this, arguing vehemently, vehemently. Th- thank you, Cody. Cody was hoping I wouldn't draw attention. Thank you very much for doing that, Cody. Nice shirt. <laughs> I like that. Damar has one on too with flowers. I didn't get the memo this morning. They argued with these men vehemently. This was a serious argument. This was a going to taking one another to task. This was not, hey, you know, I kind of don't like when you do that. Is that okay? No, no, no. They argued. And not only were these believers, these were Christian leaders. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Everybody say conflict. Here's Paul and Barnabas, leaders of this church, seeing these quote-unquote leaders from the church in Jerusalem causing trouble amongst God's people. Paul later called them troublemakers. When Paul talks about this group of people in the book of Galatians, he calls them troublemakers. As a matter of fact, the whole book of Galatians was written to the, the, the people that some, of, that some of these leaders, these quote-unquote leaders, had gone to and preached the same thing to them, that they had to be circumcised. Paul called them troublemakers. And they went after them. They went right after them. Well, pastor, let me ask you a question. Why? Why are they arguing? Aren't they Christians? Are Christians supposed to do that? Christians aren't supposed to have arguments. My my comment to you would be, who told you that? (laughs) Who told you that? Who told you that Christians are always going to just be nice and are never going to cross one another's wills? That That may be the way the world views us, but that is not the way the Bible views us. We are called to be gentle, we are. We are called to be loving, we are. But there are moments where you have to cross over the line and you will get into serious conflict. And the Bible has something to say about this. Now in this case, in cases like this, this supposed to, um, I'm sorry, let me, let, me make, let me backtrack here because I want to make sure I get this right. This is a moment that someone could look at Paul and Barnabas and go, they're wrong. They shouldn't have done that. I want you to see what was at stake for Paul and Barnabas. For Paul and Barnabas, they have given their lives to preaching this gospel and seeing these Gentiles who were once far away from God, now converted, now being born again, saved by the grace of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now it's this outside entity coming in and confusing them about their very relationship with God. 
So for Paul and Barnabas, this was no small thing and this was worth arguing over. This was not arguing whether or not, I like Rev Coffee versus community. How come the church doesn't serve community anymore? Some of y'all borderline left the church when we had Mellow Joy Coffee. I remember. I remember who you are. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't want the people that they were giving their lives to to be confused. And they didn't want their relationship with God, the purity of their relationship with God to be hurt. There are times when tough conversations are needed in our lives. Let me just give you some perspective from a Christian leader's perspective. There are times when as a pastor, I am supposed to be loving and tender and to be there for you in your worst moments, to be kind when everyone else has turned against you, to to help be that voice of God's love and compassion. There are certainly those moments, 80 to 90% of the time. But there are those moments when the job of a leader, of a Christian leader, is to correct. It's to bring much needed correction. It's to bring much needed truth. It is to cross your will. I don't like my will being crossed. Well, welcome to being a Christian. Because Jesus is constantly crossing those areas in our lives that we think we are the Lord of. When we've told him, we made him the Lord of our lives. So there are moments when the job of a Christian leader is to cross you. And there's moments when there are, we have to step in And it may not seem nice, but it is the nicest thing that we could ever do for you. There's a moment I remember at a church years ago when I was in youth ministry. Actually, I had just gotten out of youth ministry. And there was a person who had started coming to our church and wanted to serve with our student ministry. And I knew that there were some things that this person was a little bit off on and they were using drugs. And they were trying to lead our teenagers. And I remember stepping in and calling a meeting with one of those youth leaders and that person. And I kicked them out of the church because they would not repent. And there were people that thought, man, Pastor Gabe, that was mean. It's mean unless it's your teenagers that are being influenced by that person. And so there are moments when needed conflict has to happen. And even in your lives, not just that of a Christian leader, for us as Christians, period, there are moments when conflict, tough conversations in our lives are needed, especially over matters of principle. Over matters of principle. Matters of things that that will affect other people. I remember hearing a pastor tell me this years ago, and I thought this was so wise and so profound. He said, you know what, you never fight for yourself. Never fight for yourself, but always fight for others. If you're going to engage in a conflict, a tough conversation like this, don't do it for your benefit, for a self-seeking, self-serving purpose. But you better do it when it's for the betterment of other people. When it's for the protection of other people, for the help of other people. Y'all with me this morning? Paul and Barnabas were not willing to just play nice. They weren't willing to play nice just to keep the peace. They were willing, the Bible says, to argue vehemently. This was serious. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. We are not called, we're not supposed to be peacekeepers. 
Pastor, I thought we're supposed to be peacekeepers. Wait a minute. I thought that's what the Bible says. No, no, no. The Bible never says, blessed are the peacekeepers. It said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a difference between being a peacekeeper and being a peacemaker. Pastor, why are you talking about this on like the day we're all supposed to come together? Because listen, (laughs) conflict will come. If you don't want to have conflict, don't live with people. Don't be in relationship, because if you're in relationship, there will be conflict. And I want to help you navigate conflict through the Word of God and what God has to say about it. And so this is what peacekeepers do, and I mentioned this earlier. No conflict, please. Everybody keep the peace. They didn't really mean it. I don't know. Don't don't say that. If you say that, they're not going to like that. They're going to be upset, and there's going to be tension. That's what peacekeepers do. Let's talk about what peacemakers do, because that's what we're called to. Verse 3. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria. It's very important. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. To visit the believers. They told them much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. So Paul and Barnabas are sent out from their church in Antioch as delegates to to have this conversation about these these rules that these Jewish leaders, quote unquote, are trying to put on these Gentile believers. And on the way there, and I thought this was so cool when I learned this, they stopped to talk to the people in Phoenicia and the people in Samaria. Why is that important? Why is that significant? Because if you remember, the Samaritans were the half-breeds. The Samaritans were the people who were half Gentile, half Jew, and the Jewish people excluded them and treated them like they weren't good enough, right? Until Philip came and began preaching the gospel. We saw that in the book of Acts. Philip comes and he preaches the gospel and God starts doing miraculous things and accepts the Samaritans. So Paul and Barnabas stop there and tell them about what God's doing. Paul and Barnabas also stop in Phoenicia. Now, why is that important? Because in Phoenicia were the cities Tyre and Sidian, or Tyre and Citizen, depending on if you're from the hood or not. It's Tyre if you're from the hood. My cousin Tyre and, anyway, Tyre and Sidian. So why is that significant? Those were very important Gentile cities. Those were Gentile cities that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. Those places actually sent materials, not once, but twice to the Jewish people when they were building the temple. Both times when they built the temple and when they rebuilt the temple, it came with materials from Tyre and Sidon. That's also the place where Elijah the prophet went and and ministered to the widow woman. Those were Gentile, that was a Gentile, those were Gentile cities, excuse me. It's also the place that Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, he's comparing the the people in in Israel to the people in Tyre and Sidon. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 14. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but you can go back and read it. He says, if I would have done the works that I'm doing here in Israel, in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented and turned to follow me. 
He tells them, if I would have done for these Gentiles what I'm here on the earth doing for you Jewish people, if that would have happened, they would have turned and followed me and repented. So these were very important cities just north of Israel. And now we have Paul and Barnabas going there to tell them about what God is doing for not only the Gentiles close to Israel, but for the Gentiles around the region. And they rejoiced and they were excited. Verse 4. That's not my time to stop, right? (laughs) We'll have some conflict if it is. Verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. And the fight begins. See, Paul and Barnabas, they show up, and the apostles are happy to see them, and the trip is going well until. How many of you have ever had a trip that was going well until? Until he said, or she said, or your mama called. We've all had those trips where things are going well until. This is why Paul and Barnabas came, though, and they were ready to engage this. Verse 6, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles. If you remember, this is when Peter went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. And he preached to this man. We'll we'll get to this in a little bit more in a moment. But he preached to this Gentile man in a Gentile home to him and his family. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on them, baptizing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in tongues. And Peter sat back and marveled that God was accepting these Gentiles. So Peter stands up and he says that. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He's referring to Acts chapter 2. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through what? Faith. He cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God? by burdening burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved by the same way, by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. We see faith and we see grace. It's the avenue of salvation. Peter stands up and he says, hey, remember the story? Everybody was all excited. Remember when I preached up to Cornelius and, and the Holy Spirit was poured out? Remember that? God showed me something. God showed me in that moment that he accepts the Gentiles, that if they will trust in Jesus as Lord and trust him by faith, that through the grace of God, they can enter into the kingdom of God. And none of them were circumcised. 
None of them were following the laws and the traditions of our Jewish people, our Jewish ancestors, yet God did this. So why are we going to fight against God? He's standing up and he's telling them, why are we doing this? And, and I love how he says this. He says that you weren't even able to bear this yoke. Why are we asking them to do something that we're not willing to do? Now, let me explain what he's saying here. He's saying the yoke is not, not talking about an egg yoke. It's talking about a, a wooden yoke, which is something that you would put on cattle or on oxen back in that day when we didn't have John Deere or Kubota or whatever. You had to have cattle out there or, or oxen plowing your field. You would put a wooden yoke on them to steer their direction in the way that they went. And that's why the Bible talks about not being yoked together with an unbeliever. What it's saying is an unbeliever can steer you in the wrong direction if you're yoked together with them. Right? And so Peter is saying here, we could not even handle this yoke. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not putting a heavy burden on my people. I'm putting a light burden on my people to follow me. And just as a side note, can I just say this? If you notice, it says God accepts the Gentiles. Can I just clarify some language that I've heard and I've even been guilty of saying many, many times? We don't accept Jesus. Jesus accepts us. Right? He's Lord. We don't go, yeah, I think I'll give Jesus a try. You mean the one who was there and created the heaven and the earth, you're going to try him? No, he accepts us. We come to him in our sin, in our guilt, in our shame, and he washes us clean and brings us into his family. We don't accept Jesus. He accepts us. Now, this yoke that we're talking about, this is what the, the Jewish people, this is the way that this, they had 613 laws. How many of you could quote the Ten Commandments to me right now? That's what I thought. <laughs> they had 613 laws. They had the law that was given by Moses, and then they had the oral tradition, which in totality was around 613 laws that the Jewish people were required to believe and to follow. There's a book in, in oral tradition that I, I heard a, a pastor talk about this, and he said there were 24 chapters in this book on how to keep the Sabbath day meaning what you can carry on the Sabbath day if something was too heavy, who you can walk by. I mean, it's just in detail. 613 laws on how to live. Peter's saying, we couldn't even do this. So why are we going to put this on these Gentile believers that God is clearly blessing, God is clearly saving by faith through grace? not through circumcision. Verse 12, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Then something very cool happens. When they had finished, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Wait a minute, pastor. 
So Paul and Barnabas are talking and they're telling us about the stuff. And then James, the apostle, stands up and talks. I thought James, the apostle, was dead. He is. Some of you are like, this story just got interesting. <laughs> Different James. In Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, who followed Jesus, who was one of the sons of Zebedee or sons of thunder, that James, the apostle, was killed in Acts chapter 12. This is a different James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is what tradition calls James the greater. This this James was the half-brother of Jesus. Why do I say the half-brother of Jesus? Because Jesus... His father was God. Mary was his mother. This James, his dad, was Jesus, the, the man who claimed to be Jesus' father in the family, Joseph. And so that creates a couple different problems. Number one, James was the leader primarily of the church in Jerusalem. He was the lead guy. When he spoke, if you notice in this story, everybody kind of listened. It's like that old commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. Everybody's talking, Peter's up talking, Paul's talking, Barnabas is talking. James says, I have something to say. Yes, sir. When he gets up to speak, well, let, let me just say this. These are the problems that just this text give certain teachings, certain doctrines. One, there's a doctrine out there that Peter was the first pope. And that there's a line of popes that carries on from Peter. Here's the problem with that. Peter was not even the leader of the church. James was. So that in and of itself is not true. Secondly, there's a teaching out there. And I'm not picking on anybody, but truth is truth. There's a teaching out there that uh, is called the perpetual virginity of Mary. That basically says Mary was a virgin when Jesus was, was born. Absolutely true. The Bible tells us that. But it says that Mary stayed a virgin until she died. Not if Jesus had brothers and sisters. If I mean, that, that is, would be miracles the Bible didn't tell us about. <laughs> right? And so Joseph was Jesus' half-brother, which proves that that isn't true. And he was the leader of the church, which proves that Peter was not the first pope. Just giving you some side notes there. He speaks and everyone begins to listen. Verse 14, this is what he says. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. He's getting ready to, to, to reference the Old Testament, the minor prophets in the Bible. He says this, afterwards, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will, re I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. He's going back to the Old Testament, the very thing that all of these Jewish people are building their lives on. And he's saying, you are missing that the Bible has already told us this is going to happen. And you're missing it. So I'm not going to put a burden on these Gentiles. Verse 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He makes this decision. 
He recognizes what God said in Old Testament prophecy. And the conflict is now resolved. The tension, the conflict, the problem, the issue is now resolved and genuine peace comes. Verse 20, he says this though, he says, instead, we should write and tell them, who, the Gentiles, to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. James basically says, you know what, I'm not going to put these Gentiles under this yoke of 613 laws, but I'm going to give them four things that they need to do. I'm going to give them four regulations, four guidelines, and some of us have read that and tried to figure that out and, and wonder what that means. I want to break it down for you. One of those things was moral. Three of those things were not necessarily ceremonial, but they were, listen, you need to do this out of respect and love for your brother's conscience. You need to do this for their conscience' sake. The first one that I'm going to talk about is he says, avoid sexual immorality. Now, there's a twofold meaning to this. Obviously, listen, as Christians, as believers, God calls us to live morally and sexually pure. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Nobody said that was easy, but it is right. And he tells them to avoid sexual immorality. So there's the, the blatant, obvious meaning that that has. But he's also talking about the religion of the, of the pagan people, the Gentiles, those who weren't following the God of Israel. Because they had set up different temples where they would have what was called temple prostitutes. And part of their worship was actually sexual immorality. That was part of the worship of their pagan gods. And so James is heading that off saying, uh-uh, listen, don't do that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have, to, you have to not live that. You cannot go into your pagan temples and sleep with these temple prostitutes and pretend like that is going to bring some kind of worship to God. That does not worship God. And the Jewish people had a strong moral compass when it came to the family unit, the husband and the wife and the family. So he tells them that. But then he tells them these three other rules, these three other um, things, boundaries, if you will, or restrictions, if you will. And he tells them this to be respectful. This is what he says. Don't eat food offered to idols. Don't eat meat that is strangled. Don't eat animals that are strangled when they're killing them, that are strangled and the blood stays in their body. Don't eat that. And then lastly, he tells them, do not eat blood. Aren't you glad that boudin is not old school blood sausage when you hear this? Why is he telling them to be mindful of these things? He's telling them that because he recognizes that these Gentiles are going to be intermingling with the Jewish people. And these things are so egregiously disrespectful and would bother the conscience of these Jewish people. And so he's telling them, love your brothers. Love your brothers. Their conscience will not allow them to do these things so you don't do these things. He's telling them basically, even in the middle of this conflict, and this is important, in the middle of our conflicts, you have to remember something. 
love for one another. Even when you're conflicting, you should love the person you're in conflict with. Why? Because conflict does not give us an excuse to disobey the rules that Jesus gave us. Conflict does not give us the excuse to not love the person, no matter how angry we are with them, no matter how mad we are, no matter how key the issue is, we are still called to love them. But even in that love, we're so, we still have to be willing to disagree. And there are times where you have to respectfully agree to disagree. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. Well, we're just going to have to disagree unless it is something that is worth the departing of the relationship, which there are moments that we're going to get to that in a little while. But he tells them, if you are following Jesus and you genuinely love your brothers and your sisters, you are not going to want to defile their conscience. There are certain things that, church, you feel the freedom to do. And you may be well within your right to do. Paul later talks about this very same thing. He says, listen, if it offends your brother to eat meat, don't eat meat in front of him. Just don't do it. Why? What's more important? Not offending your brother is more important than your right to eat meat. That's more important. There are certain other liberties that you feel. Now, some of y'all, there's liberties you feel that are just wrong. (laughs) Let's just call a spade a spade. I feel a liberty to seep around. No, you're wrong. That's not a liberty. I feel like God, I prayed about it, and I feel like it's okay to live with my girlfriend. I don't care how much you prayed about it. He's already told you that was wrong. (laughs) If you can't say amen, say ouch. All right. But there are other matters that the Bible's not explicitly clear on. And if you get around someone and is offending or hurting their conscience by you doing that thing, if you love them, you will not do that thing in their presence. That's what the Bible is telling us. That's what it's telling, that's what James is telling them. So, verse 22, then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on these decisions, or this decision rather. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, not Judas Iscariot, he's dead, and Silas. This is the letter that they took with them. This letter is from, this is what it says. This letter is from the apostles and elders. Your brothers, isn't that amazing? Here's the leaders of the church saying, we're removing the stigma that you're just a God-fearer and you're a second-rate believer. They call them our brothers. Your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Silica. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. Saying, we didn't do that. We didn't send them. We're not for that. Can I be, can I be honest? I, I, just, I'm thinking about this. not in my notes. If you're ever in our church and you hear someone start telling you something, I don't care if they're a leader in our church, they start telling you something that, number one, is against the Bible, Number two is against something you've heard us preach doctrinally. Bring that to me. Because there are people, I remember years ago, there was a person who was going around our church and was telling people that when it was time for us to pray for people to get saved, he said, go ahead and raise your hand because that makes the pastors feel good. 
Can I just tell you how dysfunctional and wrong that that is? That's a lie in the house of God. We are committed to truth. We're committed to relationships. And sometimes those two commitments will cause conflict. So if you ever hear somebody teaching, yeah, Pastor, Pastor Gabe said we, we should all get out, go get drunk together and sleep around. I heard him say that. He said that. <laughs> don't believe it. And there are people who make their, I, I don't know what is in their souls, but they, they make a living out of not living, but they get their kicks out of going to other people's churches and teaching dysfunctional things. And they will stand before God for that. They will. All right. So we decided, having come to complete agreement to send you official representatives, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, that stamp of approval, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. I love that. Seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat strangled of animals and uh, strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Not do this, 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 and this. Don't do this. Don't say that. Don't. If you do those things, good job. Go get it. The grace of God be with you. And just like that, I want you to see this. I'm bringing it all back. Just like that, a tough conflict that could have been avoided wrongly brought genuine peace and genuine joy. Paul, aren't you glad that Paul and Barnabas were willing to fight that fight? Aren't you willing that they weren't, aren't you glad they weren't willing to just play nice? They weren't willing to go, uh, they're from Jerusalem, so they're kind of like with the big guys, the big dogs, so I'll just let them do the thing and I'll tell everybody on the side what they should really do. No, they went right at them and they had a much needed conflict that brought about peace and it brought about joy. What am I saying? They were peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And I know some of you, Pastor, I, 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 I don't want to have conflict. I, just, I don't like it. I don't want it. Listen, you do people a great disservice when you don't have needed conflict. You do yourself a much great, a big disservice when you don't have conflict. What happens? You bottle it all up and then you explode. And you often explode on the people that do not deserve it. You explode on your children. You explode on your spouses. You explode on your friends because you're bottled up with this tension, this inner conflict that needs to come out. Now, let me just tell you, and I, I teach our staff, we have these commitments that we've made as a staff to one another. Sometimes we're really good at it. Sometimes we're not as perfect at it, but we try. And one of the things that we, we talk about is when it comes to conflict, before you have something to say to someone that you know is going to create conflict and tension, two things. Number one, we have a culture commitment that says, just say it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't say, hey, you look really nice today. Um, everything, your family looks really, really cute when they come to church. You're living in sin and you need to repent. 
culture commitment is just say it. Get it out there. Let's deal with it. But then we also have this buffer, if you will, before we get into it. We ask each other, do I have your permission to say this? I have something pretty difficult to say. It may cause some conflict. Do I have your permission to say this? And when that person gives you that permission, it takes what could be a heightened relational thing and it brings it down to, I genuinely want to help. I genuinely want to help and I'm, I'm willing to go there with you for the sake of our relationship, but I don't want to wound you in the process of it. Yeah. Do I have your permission to say this? Some of you that are deathly afraid of conflict, you need to learn from that. There's some things that even when you go home, you need to say. And some of you, you need to preface it by saying, do I have your permission to say this? Because sometimes conflict is needed and sometimes conflict brings clarity. It brings clarity. So let me ask you this question. Which one are you? Are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? Have you been living with this sense of bottled up anxiety because, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what if there's a tension? What if there's a problem? Ah, Everybody has to be nice. This is perfect timing for Thanksgiving. Can I just say that? Some of you are going to have some. This was a good trip until. (laughs) But the relationships are worth it. If God has put someone in your life, it's worth the conflict. It's worth the tension. If you love your children, you cross their wills. For those of us who are parents and we live our lives trying to make our kids the friend that we never had, you are hurting them. You're wounding them because one day they will have a boss who is not their friend and they will lose a job or they'll get pulled over by the police. Am I right, Sheriff? Relationships are worth it and conflict can bring clarity. It causes truth to come out. What do I mean by clarity? And I'm, I'm going to be ending soon, but let me just say this. We can get, when, when things are unclear, we start listening to the wrong voices. We start listening to the voice of our emotions and to the voice of the devil. They said that that's what they really meant, though. Maybe they meant what they really said. Or we start, how about this? We, we need to do what? What did they say we need to do? I can't believe we need to do that. How about you go and ask, do we need to do that? Oh, no, no, I just need you to do that and that and that. Oh, okay. That's different. Communication. Conflict can bring clarity. Simplicity can come out of complex issues. Now, again, I told you that this whole chapter, and we're going to pick up the next part of this chapter next week. But like I mentioned to you, this conflict brought great clarity. But sometimes conflict does not end like this. Sometimes it does not end with great clarity. Three weeks ago, I told you about a moment that we were going to talk about that happened in Perga. Some of y'all have been waiting on that moment. Pastor, you left us with a cliffhanger, then you started legacy. What happened in Perga that would change Paul's ministry forever? I want to read it to you briefly. 
Acts chapter 15, verse 32, and this is what we're going to dive into next week. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of God. This is a side note. Silas and Judas were both prophets. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we still believe in the gift of prophecy today. As a matter of fact, on December 9th, we're bringing in someone who brought in before, Pastor Reggie Roberson. He's a very prophetic man. He's a very accurate prophet. He's prophesied over my wife and I and our children. He's prophesied over some of you in our church, our entire staff. But he will be here on December 9th. For, for a, so Thursday night, we're going to do a special night of prophecy with Pastor Reggie. But we still believe in that. And so they're out there teaching. Paul and Barnabas are teaching things. They're going well in Antioch. Verse 26. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Paul wanted to go back and visit all the churches that they had planted. Verse 37. Barnabas agreed and he went to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia which is where Perga is. Perga is a city in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. We're gonna unpack this conflict next week and what happened between these two men. And I can just tell you, it didn't end the way that the first conflict ended. But my charge and my challenge for you is this, is really to handle conflict, no matter what the outcome is, to handle it the way that Jesus taught us to handle it. And as I close, I'm gonna read this to you and then we're gonna pray. This is how Jesus taught us to handle. Because again, the goal is not to be like Paul. The goal is not to be like Barnabas. The goal is to be like Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. In other words, you're saying in fellowship. In the fellowship. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Remember the context of that. The context of that is talking about disagreements with believers. Verse 21, Peter's question. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's like, may Lord, seven is a lot. No, seven times, not not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Though God puts us in 
conflicts, two things I want you to remember. Number one, be a peacemaker. Have the necessary conflicts and conversations. Remember, though, that we're to do it in love and we're to do it with forgiveness. When that person says, I'm so sorry, forgive me, you wipe the slate clean and you move on. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word and how it teaches us as the church of Jesus Christ how to live our lives. God, there are people here today who are so bottled up with internal conflict because they refuse to have external conflict. There are people here, God, who have lived their lives so energized by external conflicts and having done it the wrong way that they've ruined the relationships and people that you've placed in their lives. Help us as a church do what you taught us to do in the book of Matthew, Jesus, to handle conflict in a healthy way. And I pray that even the conflicts that happen from this message, from this decision to make, to be a peacemaker, God, that you would bring clarity. You would bring peace and you would bring joy. This is one of the most misunderstood moments in our generation or issues in our generation. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it in a way that brings peace and unity in the body of Christ. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed. If you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to respond to God's love for you, to the calling of the kingdom of God to you. What we're talking about, we're talking, this is language for the believers, those who are walking in fellowship with one another. And if you're honest, some of you would say, I'm not a believer. I'm not born again. I've never been saved by grace through faith. I've never, I've never trusted that Jesus really is Lord of all. Pastor, if God would give me that opportunity, I'll take it. Today, he is giving you that opportunity. And he's been drawing you by his spirit. And I'm going to encourage you to pray a prayer with me. And please hear me. These words are just words. They are not going to save you. They are not going to change you. But if you will follow the leading of his spirit and follow him, he'll save you. You trust that he is Lord and you make him Lord of your life. He'll save you. Pastor, how do I do that? A, you admit the truth that you're a sinner, that you're far away from him. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to be the solution for your sin problem. And C, you confess that from this moment on, I'm following him because he is Lord of my life. He is Lord. So no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond to what God is doing in your life. And I want to acknowledge who I'm going to pray for and who I'm praying with. So no one looking around on the count of three, I want you to just lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, I want Jesus to save me today. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I want to be born again. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment. Pastor, I want to be born again. Saved by the grace of God. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand back there. Thank you. You can put them down. Church, let's all pray this prayer out loud together. This is our prayer of surrender. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe 
that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you went through hell so I would not have to face it. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin to make you the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you. From this moment on, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody. Made the decision to follow Jesus.